Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by David Fries, attorney, author, and speaker who has been called the Grand Master of Communication Skills by Steve Forbes. He's a master of teaching enhanced communication and how to go from being persuasive to being truly influential. David has been called to teach leadership, sales and marketing, interrogation and negotiation to audiences ranging from computer hackers turned good guys to entrepreneurs, military, and civilian audiences, from the CEOs of major corporations to the faculty of Ivy League universities and professional associations. David has appeared on NPR, PBS, Fox News, and over 120 radio and television programs, and has authored several books relating to persuasion, influence, and business. Now, let's welcome David to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. First of all, David, thank you very much for being um, our co-host. I really appreciate the opportunity to have you on our podcast. I know our listeners are going to love what you have to say. It's right in the wheelhouse of a lot of these guys wanting to know how to become better communicators. So why not call in, uh, what was your title again? The Grand Master of Communication. You can't get a better title than that, I don't think. <laughs> so you, you said you spent a lot of time in your talks making uh, distinctions between being a pers- uh, being persuasive being uh, versus being influential. What's the difference and how can that, like, how does that help us understand what that actually means? Sure. Well, Tim, thank you for having me today. And that's a fantastic question to start with because a lot of what we want to talk about today and a lot of what would be beneficial to the audience, a lot of things they could take and use, depends on understanding this really strategic difference. So persuasion, whenever I'm on TV or radio, that's what everybody wants to know about. They want to know, what are the little tricks? What are the linguistic language patterns? What are the ways that you use the sound of your voice or whatever to become more persuasive? And those are all good, and we're going to talk about them today, and everybody will be able to take one or two or three of these things and start using them right away. But what really matters, what really makes the difference between somebody who is a master at getting things done and having more clients come to them and having more customers and having more referrals and somebody that's just good at it is the people that master the little persuasive tricks can become good, but the ones that get the difference between persuasion and influence become truly influential and they they reap enormous benefits of that. So here's the difference. Persuasion uh, skills are things like this, uh, really coming to understand that the words that we say don't always mean the same thing to us as they mean to another person. And once you're aware of that, you could become more persuasive by communicating with a little bit more precision. And uh, a little persuasion trick is to understand that the tone of your voice matters more to the person that you're talking to than the actual words you're selecting. So you may be saying all the right things, but if you're saying it with the wrong tone of voice, you're going to miss out. So well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. David, hold on. You jump in anytime. I uh, I will. (laughs) Just don't, listeners, please don't think I'm rude. Prior to the interview today, David encouraged me to tell him to shut up, which I said I wouldn't, but I did tell him I'd interrupt him when he said something great like what he just did so you guys can get the most benefit from it. 
that's something we teach in our coaching program, what you just said, because there's mm-hmm. a lot of – that really is such an important thing, especially because we teach agents to do a lot of the work over their phone. And when they're calling sure. somebody, guys – I'm going to have David explain this more, but let's, let's say, for example, David, asking a question that ends in an upswing or ends in basically having it sound like a command because that's the essence of what you're talking about. And, and for, as far as like what we teach anyway. So give them more about that, the inflection of their voice, the speech patterns, the tonality, all that type of thing. Give, let's deep dive into that just ever so slightly sure. so these guys can have great takeaways. Sure, sure. And I'm glad you talk about that because that's a powerful, powerful skill of persuasion. So if we want to be commanding, if we want people to be sure that we're confident in an opinion that we're giving them, you don't want to have a questioning inflection to your voice, and a lot of times we do. And this is the observation I'm not going to make, uh, I'm about to make, it's not a sexist observation. It's, it's a scientifically proven one, and, and I think I've seen this anecdotally too. Women are a little bit more guilty of this than men are, and it may be uh, socialization. Men may be taught in a variety of ways to speak as though they're, they're very certain of what it is that they're saying. And women may be taught to be more questioning of everything that they're saying, and that comes through in tonality. But learning to pay attention to this. And when you really do know something, and when you're really offering a potential buyer or seller of a home or someone considering a listing with you, when you really are giving them solid information that you're sure of and you know it's the right information for for them because you've been talking to them and listening carefully to what their needs are. So once you're really sure of that, then don't spoil it by saying, I think that you should do this, right? Because that tag question and that tone of voice saying you don't know what you're talking about. And you may feel really certain of it, but if you're inadvertently putting this little tag question on there that may uh, show that you're not, or you're inadvertently using a tone of voice like this that shows that you're not totally confident, it's going to completely override what it is that you're saying. And that's buried deep in the biology of how we process information. So you guys are so, right. So, so let, 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 let's, ho- let's hover there. That's really, really incredible. So you guys could be delivering the scripts perfectly. You guys could be basically going through the whole process, doing the pre-listing pack, doing everything elegantly, and you're just not getting very consistent or you're not getting the results that you want. And what David just said is so incredible. If you're pre-qualifying somebody and you're, you are asking questions, that's the essence of what the pre-qualification scripts are. But if you're upswinging at the end, like we all do naturally when we're speaking, you actually lose your authority. Am I on the, on the right track here, David? You are exactly correct. Okay, so and, don't and, up, and, So you ask – yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And there are times, just to be clear, that you do want to add a tag question to find out if you got through or not, but you want to deliver it confidently. So you might say, I'm hearing you say this, this, and this, right? Because then if you didn't hear them correctly, you've done this in a very polite way where they'll say, oh, no, uh, I'm not really sure about that second thing. I'm not really sure I need three bedrooms. So if you said, I'm hearing you say there are three essentials in any home you want to buy, a big backyard, three bedrooms, and at least two and a half baths, right? Then, and notice how I, I'm, I'm asking a question, but I'm using a tag at the end of it with a command tonality. So what they're going to do is they're going to confirm for you that, that you were correct, or they'll correct you. They'll say, well, I know I said that, but the third bedroom's not as important as the other two. Well, man, you just got an enormously powerful piece of information there. Well, you just said something else, too. You're also suggesting that when they – the normal – so, guys, what, what I'm hearing from David, if I'm hearing him correctly, and, again, David, correct me if I'm not, 
is that the normal way you communicate with your family, your friends, and the way you communicate when you're in a sales environment, when you're trying to be persuasive, those are probably two different things. Now, you could take your you know, your, your new skills of being persuasive to your family, but, you know, maybe you don't want to talk to your daughter in the same way you're talking to someone about buying a building. I don't know. It's up to you guys on that one. But what I'm hearing, one of the little pearls he just said there, and hopefully you guys are picking that up, is that he is repeating and affirming what they just said to him. So if someone's having, if you're having a conversation with somebody, the normal speech pattern is after somebody says something, then you say what you're going to say. But when you're being persuasive, you want to show them that you're listening by saying, I, as J David said so elegantly, I, this is what I just heard you say, and repeat what they said. When you let somebody know that they were heard, um, that instantly will elevate you in their mind. And by the way, a lot of the stuff he's talking about, again, David, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is uh, subconscious. So if you're talking with somebody and they're not, and they're even saying the lines and the scripts and the pre-qualification lines perfectly, but they're not saying them as he's suggesting, uh, they're not going to get very consistent results because what's happening is the person receiving that information, the person you're talking to, will sense that you are actually not as authoritative uh, and they'll actually question whether or not they want to do business with you. So these are all the tiny little nuances that sometimes take someone from being good to great. Yeah, it doesn't take much to tilt over from being good to great, but few people will do it because it involves doing something that's uncomfortable, which is thinking about this a little bit and practicing it. Here's the good news for all the agents and brokers listening, is that you, I'm going to go through a bunch of these things that you could take and use. And they may sound cool. ridiculously uh, obvious, but what you'll find as you start to think about them is, gee, you're not doing them consistently, you're not doing them regularly, and you're not doing them in the best possible way that you could. So if you do the thing that's a tiny bit painful, and you practice a little bit and start to notice, like the first few times that you do it well, it will still seem awkward to you because you're consciously doing it, just like when you start to do anything really well. Like when you first learned to drive a car, you had to think about everything, and it was hard to talk to somebody in the passenger seat because you were thinking so hard about it. But now you could drive to work, and hopefully you don't text and smoke cigarettes and drink coffee all at the same time, but I've seen people doing all those things while they're driving. And the, the thing is, it's because they're really unconsciously good at it now. And so they don't have to put all of their conscious attention into it. So the thing is that most people, the minute they start to practice these things or think about them, they feel uncomfortable. They stop. They don't get any better. You're going to get an enormous edge. You're going to have an unfair advantage over your competition. Uh, you know, other brokerages and realtors com uh, competing with you in your marketplace. You're going to have that unfair advantage for a variety of reasons. And, and I would say, Tim, that while we may not speak at home in the same way, that when you practice these things at work, you're going to become a better spouse or partner. You're going to become a better uh, friend. You're going to become a better parent because we all think, for example, that when we say something to our kids or our spouse or our partner or somebody at work, we all think when we say it that they get it and they mean the same thing. So, Tim, if I say to you, um, hey, the word turkey sandwich, you get a picture of a turkey sandwich in your head, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. What is, what's that turkey sandwich look like? What, what, is it, what, color, what kind of bread is it on? Is it thick or the thin meat? Is there, are there condiments on it? All that. So white or brown bread or rye? Uh, brown. Brown. Toasted or untoasted? Toasted. Are you kidding me? Who wants a cold turkey sandwich? That's gross. 
Right, but the person asking you for the turkey sandwich might love a cold turkey sandwich. They might want the thick slice. It might be very different from yours. So we all assume that when we tell people what we want, I want a turkey sandwich, and we have this really intricate image of what would be perfect for us, and they bring us their turkey sandwich on toast when we wanted it on cold white bread, and they brought it with mayo or mustard, and we just wanted it with butter. I mean, things that may be repugnant to one another – it's our fault if we ask for a turkey sandwich and we don't follow up and we get something that's less than perfect. The quality of the communication is the quality of the response you get. Just try adopting that so that when you tell somebody to do something and they bring you something back happily thinking they've done it perfectly and it's all screwed up from your perspective, that's probably because you didn't do a good job of saying, hey, by the way, before you go out for that turkey sandwich I was asking about, I'd love one you, today. You, you said- you said yeah. two things there. I really want to not let these get by our listeners. The quality of the communication is dependent on the quality of the response, which what I'm hearing you say is basically you're oh, – let me, let me give you this example, David, and you tell me whether or not I'm on track, okay, just so I can understand. All right, so listeners, you're working with a buyer, and the buyer says, I want a private backyard. You know, and in your mind, you immediately go to – well, you can even say you know, buyers will say, I want a great deal, right? So all these things that buyers say, if you don't ask follow-up questions to define what that means to that buyer, then you're going to end up basically frustrating yourself and frustrating them. So, for example, Mr. Buyer, does a private backyard mean to you that it's uh, you know, some big, huge yard where you're you know, basically in the middle of some ranch in the middle of you know, uh, western Texas, you don't see anybody for days? Or is a private backyard mean on, a, say, for example, a yard that uh, uh, maybe has a lot of trees, it's shaded, that you don't necessarily see your neighbors? So what does the private backyard mean to you? Or this is another exactly. thing that obviously let me add your add time. The backyard to me, yep. I, I, I came up with a perfect image of a backyard with a fairly high fence in it, and it had this number of criteria <laughs> that you flush out by asking this question that you're asking. And buyers will always say, I'm looking for a great deal. There's not a buyer in the face of the earth that's ever said they're not looking for a great deal. Then ask them a question what a great deal means for you. And, David, the mistake agents always make is they'll say, well, a great deal means this is some sort of buyer looking to buy wholesale. And in agents' minds, they automatically go to, oh, my God, I'm just working for someone that's always going to make, you know, they're never going to make offers. They're always going to make lowball offers. I'll never put this in contract. Whereas what they should ask is, what does a great deal mean to you? Because, listeners, a great deal means to a buyer you know, it's interesting. It's financing or money, the price, is not usually the first thing that comes to mind. A great deal could mean close to work, close to church. A great deal could mean a uh, house doesn't need any work. A great deal could mean it's all whatever. So don't define what they're saying to you. You need to go back and ask a question so you're on the same page with them. And just by asking those secondary and third questions, you automatically become more professional and they respect you more. And I, would, I agree completely, Tim. You're hitting the nail on the head here. I would just give you another one of these tips that goes from uh, the, the way that you couched it takes people from good to great. What I'm about to say can then take the, uh, a number of people from great to just through the roof awesome. And that is when somebody says to you, well, I want a private backyard or a good deal, and you ask them the questions about what does that really mean? And here's what I would do. Um, I preface it. I'm a trusted estates lawyer uh, by training as well as an interrogator by training as well as a communications uh, teacher. So uh, those things are all more similar than you think. So I often say to people when they come in and they start off by saying, look, I want to get a great deal. And I say, well, uh, uh, excellent. Everybody wants a great deal. But what I've learned by paying very close attention to my clients, and I learned this the hard way by not always following up, is that uh, when somebody says they want a great deal, it means different things to different people. So let's explore. And I'll say, a great deal, by the way, is in the eyes of the beholder. 
So I don't want to give you what I think is a great deal on price. I don't want to give you a low-priced option in estate planning when you actually want to spend more to protect your daughter from losing her inheritance in uh, a divorce. Now, I just did a couple of things there, and people go, whoa, 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 wait. I would pay more to protect my daughter from a divorce. Uh, So I've actually shown them and told them sort of implicitly at a little bit of a right angle that I'm really experienced with this. I've listened to lots of people through time, and I found out that what's important to one person isn't the same thing that's important to another. And I've given an example, which I do know, by the way, is very important to most people that buy from me. And I've already suggested something they might want that would make the more expensive option still the good deal. So there was a lot going on well, in that little sentence that I said there. So one it's of the elegant, ways, right? It's very yeah. elegant. One of the ways to, to get this way with your potential buyers or sellers, and we're talking about a buyer, in this case a real estate buyer, is to be upfront with them. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. That's not to be nosy, and it's not to be intrusive. I've just found through the years, because I listen very closely to people, that when somebody tells me they want certain things, they don't always mean the same thing as another person that's told me that. So forgive me in advance for asking you questions because I want to do the perfect job for you. So awesome. that, I love it. that just sets up that you're going to do this next thing. Now, when somebody says, I want a private backyard, one of the questions I would ask them is, what does that mean to you? And then I would ask them, and tell me, why is that really important to you? Because being close to work, they may say, well, because I want to get there the fastest way possible. And then I might say, oh, I've had other people tell me that. And rather than live in this one neighborhood we're talking about, they live over here because there's a high-speed train that goes through. And the person may go, wow, that would be even better because I don't want to drive. I want to get work done on the train. So asking why the thing is important, not just what it looks like, it sounds like, it feels like to them, but why. Because they may say, I have a child with autism, and they could be easily frightened or startled by X, Y, or Z. Now that may give you a whole list of other ideas of what's important to them and features in a house that might be really valuable to them. You know, psychologically, David, um, this is something we do our best to get our coaching clients to understand, is there's so few uh, folks that – the people that ask questions are generally people that really care about you, um, mm-hmm. your family, your, your mom, uh, or professionals in general. Like doctors ask lots of questions because their job is to care about you. You know, your mom asks lots of questions because her job is to care about you. But there's so few other people. Most people's priority in their, you know, ego basically makes them focus on what they're going to say next or what they're thinking about or how is this, I need to tell you my story. People always want to pivot and talk back to themselves. And what you're sharing with us, in essence, is keeping the focus on the actual customer or on the actual person. And by doing that on a subconscious level, you actually elevate yourself to that status of a caring professional. And that's what happens when you ask questions versus what most salespeople do, especially in real estate, is they just Blah, 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 blah. Sound about right? Yes, and you can make a distinction, too, and make yourself seem like a consummate professional by saying, I don't know what kind of experience you've had with realtors or other advisors, but this is how I work, and this is why I ask questions and things. And and, uh, uh, your doctor example made me think of this right away because – um, I had a spinal cord injury. I was quadriplegic for a while. I went through years of rehab. I had to wow. see lots of doctors. And one of the things I noticed was that the doctors that sat down and looked me in the eye and would listen to me while watching me before they made a note and asked me lots of questions, for all the reasons, Tim, that you're saying, I loved them and felt connected to them and felt that they were connected to me and cared about me. But most of the doctors I went to see popped into the room for a few minutes didn't ask many questions, and when they did, were just scribbling the answers down in a chart. So 
just the act of asking questions, this is going from good to great and great to awesome again. Asking more questions does elevate you to be like the doctor and the mom and people we really trust, and that's going to get us back to the difference between persuasion and influence. But that extra little bit of <laughs> listening, not thinking about what your next question is going to be. Wait till they finish. Take a minute and think about it. But actually listen to them the whole time rather than having an internal dialogue with yourself, making eye contact with them. So asking more questions, doing it with a tonality that shows that you're interested and not bored by it, because it's easy, the longer you're in the real estate game, to have heard things over and over again and to let yourself be bored. You have to motivate yourself to say, I'm going to look this person right in the eye. I'm going to, I wonder when I meet them, what is it that's special about them? What's going to make them interesting to me? What is it about them that I like? And they're going to feel all of that, and they're going to feel that connection. And that's what takes you, asking the questions takes you from okay to good, Asking a few more questions, like why do you want that backyard and what does it look like, takes you from good to great. And doing the questioning in a way where you're generally connect, genuinely connected to them and using the right tone of voice of somebody that is connected to them and cares, that takes you to that next level of awesome. You're undefeatable there. So um, we want to, I want to get more to per, the persuasion aspect, though I think you and I are dancing around it quite, uh, quite nicely now. But I want to ask a question that might be a little bit out of the ordinary. I know there's going to be some skeptics that are listening right now. And, again, I told you before the show started today that there's a lot of folks that, you know, we have 100, and I don't even know how many thousand listeners. And uh, the nature of real estate, David, I don't know if you knew this, is essentially, you know, uh, something like 30, or see, half of them are basically new in the business. You know, the probability of, how, of being in the real estate industry for more than three years is very, very low. So most of the people that are coming to real estate, as a rule, are going to be newish, maybe never in sales before. Our listeners generally are made up from newish agents, 50%, and seasoned agents, the other 50%. But I know that there are a lot of agents that are listening right now that are going to be skeptical. They're going to think you're trying to teach some sort of unethical, crazy, I'm sure you've run into this before, where people oh, just yeah. aren't ready for the lesson. They, th- they think it's somehow manipulative. They think that's where they get, they get stuck on that word. And, and, and I'll tell you what we say, and you tell me if I'm on track. Is that cool? Yeah. The, real, the reality of it is, guys, is yes, it is manipulative, but it's manipulative to help somebody accomplish their goal. And when was manipulative a bad word? It isn't. If you're using, if you're using communication techniques that are going to help somebody make a decision that's going to be in alignment with what they, their stated goal is, um, why is that a bad thing? And all that David's doing is he's helping you guys to recognize the fact, again, that the difference between where you are and where you want to be, and I don't care if you're a ninja salesperson, you're the best realtor ever, the reality of it is is all of you guys could dial it back up. Drill down on it. what he's saying. He's talking about asking questions. Isn't that basically what we teach you guys as part of the coaching program? Isn't the essence of everything that we teach you guys about question asking? There's a reason. Listening to David right now hopefully will backfill the reason why. By the way, if you guys aren't in the coaching program yet and you want those six free books, just go ahead and scroll to the bottom of your mobile device and put in your, uh, your name, your email address, and your phone number, and someone from our staff will call you uh, back. If you have not yet done that, guys, when would now be the best time to actually take action and get that done? So, so let's start venturing off into the, the world of persuasion. That, that sounds very interesting. So I'll toss the bell back to you, sir. Okay, so again, you've hit the nail on the head. You've obviously thought about this a lot, and you're sharing smart lessons with the people in your coaching group. Um, and you're correct that every time I speak on this to an audience that has people in it who are really just learning and starting to master these skills, somebody will stand up when I teach a technique and say, that's manipulative. 
And my answer, apart from having them come up on stage and go into a you know, deep and bizarre trance as they look out over everybody, is to say, you're exactly <laughs> right. It's totally manipulative. And here's the thing. Here's the good news and the bad news. Remember I said earlier that the good news for everybody on the call is you're already doing these things? So everybody on this call can think of times when you were either selling or in your personal life when you were trying to persuade somebody or communicate with them. But understand that all human communication, all of it, is manipulation. Whenever you So think about this. Whenever you say anything to anybody, you're manipulating them. Here's what I mean by that. Trying to get them to do something. You're trying to entertain them so they'll be happier. You're trying to get them to break out of a sad feeling. You're trying to educate them so they could go make money. You're trying to, if it's a child, get them to have the confidence to ride a bike without training wheels on it. It's all manipulative. So what matters? That's an awesome, that's an awesome, awesome point. That, yep. Yeah. The only thing that differentiates bad manipulation from good is what is the intention of the person who is speaking and acting and arguably manipulating. So if you are doing what you're being taught by, by your coaches here, and if you are clearly and with precision finding out what those people want, and if you know you have the ability to search out the kind of houses they want now more easily because you know not only what they want but what it looks like and sounds like and feels like to them and why they want it, you know, you, you're doing them a disservice if you don't ask all those questions and let them go to another realtor who's not going to pay attention to it and let them buy a home filled with mold when their kids have a mold allergy or not get them closest to the school where they want to be or not understand what they mean by a private backyard. You're doing them a disservice by not clarifying all of that. So once we're clear that you have their best interest in mind, and what if, by the way, if by asking all those questions it turned out that there was another town where you just did not feel equipped to sell them a house, and you sent them to a realtor you really know and like and trust in that town, and they got them exactly what they wanted. What if that happened? And if they, if everybody they ever meet that's buying property in your town, they're going to tell them to come and see you. And that's what I mean by the difference between persuasion and influence. Persuasion is a set of techniques and skills. We all use them all the time. Let's just get a little better at them and use a little, little more often to make us communicate with people in the best possible way for clarity and to get the desired result. That's hard work, but when you do that repeatedly for somebody and they come to trust you and they know you've always listened to what they have to say and you always helped them out and you treated them fairly and better than they thought they were being treated and they felt like the money they paid you, they got something worth way more than that, then, they, then you become influential. And by that I mean you don't have to convince them and persuade them anymore. They are turning to you and sending their friends to you and their family to you because they know that they will be well cared for. That's when you transition from being persuasive to being influential. And, of course, influence is rooted in being a good persuader and an excellent communicator. But when you get to be a good communicator and you've got the long game in mind, so you start to really take care of people and do a good job for them, you'll find that you become influential with more and more and more and more people. And here's the other good thing about it. We'll all make mistakes. We'll all forget somebody's child's name or we'll forget to do something or we'll say something to them about politics with which they didn't agree. When you are influential and they know and they like and they deeply trust you and they send other people to you, when you make a mistake, they will be much more willing to forgive you that mistake than to condemn you and move on to some other realtor who they 
you know, they turned to because they just didn't know you and you made a mistake. So be, focusing on being a good persuader gets us to be the best, do the best job we can for the client. And then focusing on the client's need in the long term and building trust on top of persuasion to show them we never abuse our persuasion and we frequently tell them what we're doing. Like, remember I said, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Here's why. It's not to be intrusive, and I could understand why you might think that. But I need to know these things to get you more exactly what you want. And I don't want to waste your time showing you homes that don't fit those criteria. And that might still happen, but it's going to be less likely if we sit down and we spend some time together now and I ask you these questions. See how much more powerful that is? And that's somebody that cares about them. So you're going to become more influential so, fast. So why would, I mean, intellectually what you're saying is kind of like you can't really argue it, right? I mean, there's no, it makes sense. And one of the, one of the founding pillars of our uh, organization is being of service to other people. And what I'm hearing you say is by uh, being on the path to mastering some of these skills, what we're really talking about is basically being able to be of service to more people. And that goes, goes falls back on another one of our pillars, that long-term ever-increasing success comes from doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. A lot of you guys will dip your toes into this kind of thinking. And what's going to happen is you're going to resist it at first because of your ego. In other words, it's going to feel unnatural to you. But then you start asking the questions, and then you start seeing the results, and then you start feeling the connectiveness that you have with those people, and then you realize this is real. Then you realize you've transcended your sort of ego about you all the time conversation. Again, this is a typical realtor talking about themselves constantly. And you've gone to someone who's in that realm of truly caring. So why do you find, having taught this for a long time, why, and being a national recognized expert, why do people resist it? If someone's in your audience, David, and they're listening to you, and intellectually they get it, it's clicking, but they still resist it, why? Okay, it's a fair and a good question, and it, it's really rooted in what you say. Um, I uh, know Jocko Willink. He's a, a task unit commander, uh, SEAL Team 3 in Ramadi. And he says the greatest quality that a leader can have is to be able to recognize when ego's creeping up on you and get it out of the way. Oh. and to step aside and, and to say to yourself, I may not know the, all of the aspects as well as other people. So you may not know exactly what that client wants yet until you get ego out of the way and do this. You're actually doing them a disservice. If you, if you quit because making yourself better at this feels weird, then you're doing a disservice because you're going to waste the client's time showing them stuff they're not interested in. You're going to build a less favorable, less trusting relationship with them. You may even have them buy the wrong house. Instead of consistent, and that may happen despite your best efforts, but when you're consistently working on really understanding people, really understanding how you communicate with them, doing it the easy way rather than the hard way, and I'll explain what I mean by that, um, by doing that, you are, are doing a service to everyone you work with which will pay you back dividends. You don't do it because of that, but that is a natural outcome of being successfully a really good communicator and successfully persuasive. It's a natural outcome that when you consistently really listen to people and consistently deliver what they want and consistently solve their biggest fears and anxieties and problems, which you as a realtor are in the position to do, then they begin to like you and to trust you. And where the intersection of great communication and persuasion meets trust, you get influence. And if you quit that because you think you know it all already and that you're the best that you could possibly be at this, you're doing yourself and your clients a disservice. But it is usually What's ego. that called? You, 
you mentioned that before. I forget. What's it called? The stages of learning, levels of learning. You're talking about basically unconscious competence, conscious competence, yeah. all that. That's in essence what you're describing, yeah. It, but you know, here's where, David, here's where most agents still run amok. Even the top producing ones, guys that we coach that are just the top of their game, you know, agents on TV, is they'll bring to the table a lot of natural talent and ability. They just naturally have that little, you know, special it factor. But then they mm-hmm. don't try to go back and backfill. They don't make themselves better, you know, studying the types of things that you have become a master of. And so then what happens is they start struggling and they start seeing that basically they're not able to elevate themselves uh you know, professionally and personally to the next level, and it's because ultimately the ego starts to cloud. I'm really curious about something you said. All of our listeners are going to know that I'm bringing this up. Your friend who's the run SEAL Team uh, 3, and you talked about ego. There has to be. How does I, – I am so intrigued by that, what you said, and, and bringing, this, um, bringing this, uh, this topic into a SEAL Team and bringing the topic of ego into a SEAL team. How, do you, how does that work? I mean, that's on such a different level because the intensity and the stress that those guys have to experience. I, I, I know that's a stupid general question, but, I mean, where does yeah, your mind great, go with me bringing that up? It's a great question. I was in San Diego with Jocko recently, and I was doing an interview with him, and I was recording. I was in your seat, and I was recording this interview with Jocko. And I followed up with a similar kind of question because I knew this was in everybody's mind that was going to be listening. I said, Jocko, I think in, civili- in the civilian world, everybody thinks you as a task unit leader, you know, leading two SEAL platoons, that you had it easy because you just ordered people to do something. He said, and he, Jocko gets really, like, worked up. He goes, no, Dave, that's not how it works. That's how everybody thinks it works. But here's the thing. He said, when I order people to do something, uh, it's, it's, it's even more important that I persuade them because – they have to, I want them to follow my order, but I also understand that they have to understand commander's intent because once they get out in the field, think about it. SEALs go out in the field. Jocko tells them to go take a building in such and such a sector of town. They have to understand that the reason they're taking that building is to take the high ground, and they want to be on the rooftop of that building. And what if when that unit gets there, that building has been bombed and no longer exists? Now they know the commander's intent is to take the high ground because we're going to do X or Y or Z. So we need to take the next highest building. So now they're going to communicate back and tell them we're going to take this other building so that they don't get bombed. But they have to make independent decisions in the field based on the things they're seeing. And, and Jocko would say, listen, when I come up with this plan and I'm planning with people, I incorporate the people that are going to have to go out and follow my orders. And I want them to question the assumptions that we have. Now, if I've got a great big ego because I'm task unit commander, and I don't want to listen to what people have to say, they may have been outside the wire like two days ago and seen things or know things that I don't know. So I have to put the ego aside. I have to listen to them. I want them to tell me if that's a crazy plan and is going to endanger my men. Because up and down the chain of command, I want everybody to understand what's the strategic reason we're going out there. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Jocko tells a story where orders came down from the Pentagon that they had to take – um, Iraqi soldiers on all their missions. And the men were livid because they thought that would endanger not just the Iraqi soldiers, but them because of the bit, vast gap in their training. Jocko had to say, listen, there was rebellion against that order up and down the chain of command, but I had to convince people that there was a higher purpose for this, which is if we never trained the Iraqis to be able to do what we were doing, then we'd never be able to get out of there and go home, and they'd never be able to create a stable environment. And so he said once people understood that and that the people in the Pentagon were trying to get them killed 
and that there were ways that they just had to figure out how to do it, and they had to be more creative about it. Then there was a totally different dimension to how people felt about carrying out that order. And think about it. He said, when I give people orders and they go to do what I tell them, it's not like you where people could lose money or screw up a deal or something like that. They could get killed. So they have to understand my orders and want to follow them. And I have to understand that they may have more information than I have available to me, and that takes me putting my ego aside. And I thought that was brilliant. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting to me from uh – there's a lot of the personal development stuff sort of stalled out. There wasn't a lot of movement. I mean, what we're kind of talking about is a little bit of NLP, a little bit of other stuff. And it's, a lot of that stuff hadn't really evolved until about, you know, until these military guys start basically talking about some of the things that they do about their mindset. We've, I've gotten so much from people, you know, learned so much from people like Jocko that are so, you know, it's a little, just, you know, our listeners will know I, there's a book written by a SEAL and he talks about staying in your own five-foot world and things like that. I mean, all that stuff is so incredibly powerful. It, it is, you know, people like Jocko, and frankly, people like you, weren't you in the military too, weren't you, if I remember correctly? I never was. I was always a civilian, but I love anybody, man, woman, young or old, that has volunteered and served or served during the draft to defend our country because we could not live the way we live and have the rights that we have without these people vigilantly protecting our freedom. I 100% agree, and God bless them all. And so you've written a lot of great books. You're obviously a very famous uh, guy. If someone wants to further their learning uh, – you know, starting with this podcast, how would they get in contact with you? How would they, you know, what books would you suggest? Help our listeners have this be a continuing conversation with you. How can they do that? Sure. So if you want to follow up more on what we were just talking about, how the military application of some of these ideas to leadership works, you could read Jocko's uh, got a book on the New York Times bestseller list he wrote with Leif Babin, uh, who is a platoon leader in task unit Bravo, uh, or bruiser. And, um, uh, that's a great book on leadership. If you want more communication skills books, um, I wrote a book called The Language of Parenting, which is sort of a book about how spies and interrogators and experts in communication and negotiation would raise their kids. Now, you might say, well, I don't have any kids or all my kids are grown, but this is a little miniature Bible of these techniques and strategies that we've been talking about. What's that name a- again? I'm, what's that name again? I'm totally going to get that one. What's it called? What's the, na- oh, the oh. name again? The Language of Parenting, and uh, if you just Google my name, which is David M. Fries III, if you put that in quotes and Google it, that book usually comes up, I think. Or if you put Language of Parenting and my name in quotes, that'll come up. We, we, have a little, we have a little girl, and I feel like half the time she's the one interrogating us, so maybe I need to start getting my game on so I basically can be on even heels with her. <laughs> oh, I assure you she is. I'll read your book. And she understands the biology of human communication in a way that you've long ago forgotten it because of all of the social overlays that you've got. Um, Yeah, we taught from that book to fourth graders how to be more persuasive to your parents, and that experiment ran amok because they're really good at it. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. So there's two resources. If, If you want to see things that we post about this or how we apply it to marketing, and to sales, you could go to, I have a website, successtechnologies.com, just slash blog, go to the blog, and you'll see all kinds of free resources we've put up there so that people can get the hang of this or the feel of it. And you don't have to take my word for it that it works then. You can see and feel and just watch it at work. And, uh, you know, then if you want more training, you can follow me on social media. 
Um, we run live events and things like that, and, and then we post what we learn from them. So you can get more active, you know, spur-of-the-moment thoughts that we're having about these things. And I'm pretty good about saying, this is something that I know and I understand and is tested, and here's the science behind it, versus here's something that I discovered and I'm testing. Uh, it doesn't mean that my discovery or that my testing is wrong. I'm just alerting you to the fact that some things I do, there's good science behind them, and some things I'm just fascinated because I start to see a trend and I'm doing them. But either way, I let people know. The, the accounts where I do that are, uh, if you go to twitter.com slash DaveFreeze, D-A-V-E-F-R-E-E-S, uh, that's how you get me on Twitter. And if you're a Facebook person, go to David slash DaveFreeze. Facebook.com slash DaveFreeze takes you right to that page. Folks, don't resist what he's talking about because the fact is, is what all of you guys secretly want, whether you want to admit it or not, is you want to be one of those people that basically when they walk into a room, everybody's just attracted to them. And you got to, you know, you, you've heard these sort of fable stories how, you know, people in history had that sort of magnetic it factor. You, you, when I say that, you guys have uh, maybe celebrities, maybe people that are, you know, from history that immediately uh, show up in your mind. Someone that just had that special something. Well, if you were to really drill down and you were to figure out what that special something is, it's a lot of things, but the essence of it is what we just talked about for the past half hour. It's their ability to listen. It's the ability to ask questions. It's the ability to be present, i.e. setting ego aside, uh, with the person they're communicating with. It's the, it's the ability to understand what they're saying and deliver on what you promise based on their expectations. That is the essence of what the it factor is. So if you guys are trying to figure out what it is that, you know, in a very practical, you know, boots on the ground type, you know, way of putting it, if you're trying to figure out why somebody will beat you consistently on a listing appointment, it's, I pretty much can guarantee you, it's not because they had some sort of, you know, secret handshake or, you know, wasn't some social connection. All those things may play into it. It's because they are at least conscious of the importance of how to communicate at the highest level. And David Fries, I really appreciate you being my uh, co, uh, my guest today, and my, <coughs> sorry, sneeze, <laughs> and also uh, my co. I sincerely appreciate your time. I learned a lot. Thank you. I learned a lot, and I'd love to have you back. Thank you. I'm happy to come back. It was a blast, and that is not always true. You're a great interviewer, and I think we got a lot of stuff out there that people could take and use. Thank you, Tim. Very good. And whenever you're having uh, upcoming events or if you want to help us disseminate any information, what you're talking about is right in our wheelhouse. I'd be more than happy to share it with our listeners as well as share it with our, uh, our students uh, on our private Facebook pages and whatnot. So just communicate with Gina, and we'll get that done for you, okay? Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Listeners, we'll talk with you on the radio today. Have a fantastic day, as always, with your, uh, from your homework from our radio shows. Is make sure you share this radio show, this podcast, with as many different agents as you possibly can. And also, if you've not yet done so, go to the bottom of your mobile device, fill out that simple form, or if you're on your desktop, go to joinharris.com by simply filling out the form, guys. We're going to give you those six free books. You can see the images of the books right there. It takes two seconds, and generally speaking, we can get you called back in like 10 or 15 minutes. Have a fantastic day, and we'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.